Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talk. I hope you're all doing well. I'm doing really good. I've had a very, very busy week because one week ago I adopted a rescue dog. His name is Taro. He is a greyhound. He is a rescue from the greyhound racing industry. So he's a retired racing dog. When I say that he is a retired racer, people often assume that he must be super active. He is not. He sleeps and sleeps and sleeps and then sleeps some more. We will go for a short walk and he will be exhausted afterwards. He is a big dog, but he is a gentle giant. Very, very kind and polite and well-behaved. He has never lived in a home before, so it's very interesting to now, for the first time in his life, having a warm and loving home. And, you know, it's so funny to watch his reactions towards things such as mirrors, glass doors, even just like my drawers. He, he was shocked in the beginning. Everything is just so new for him, but he's really settling in and he I'm so proud of him. He's really, really settling in very, very well. So you may hear a bit more about him because the thing with him, he is teaching me a lot, like a lot of life lessons. So probably gonna hear a lot of Taro metaphors. Anyways, guys, so one thing that I really wanted to talk about today was actually inspired a bit by Taro and some of the things he's teaching me. And I want to talk a bit about consistency and the importance of consistency in recovery. So what is consistency? I mean, you may know, but let's just start with a definition. Consistency is essentially the ability to do something again and again and again and staying consistent day in, day out, instead of just doing something once and then not doing it for some time. So an observation I've made is that consistency seems to be one of the most important determinators of a successful recovery. People often assume that the people who successfully recovered are those who for some reason just find it easier than them, right? Oh, the people who recover, recover because they find it easy. That is not the case. Finding recovery easy versus not easy is not a determinator of whether or not you're going to recover and how successful your recovery will be because essentially it is difficult for everyone. I have clients who are crying and eating at the same time. I was crying and eating at the same time. It was not easy. People also often assume that treatment team is the most important part. And don't get me wrong, this is incredibly important as well. If you have a treatment team that are reinforcing your eating disorder, then of course recovery is going to be more difficult. And a good treatment team will help you with staying consistent. At the end of the day, someone can have the most amazing treatment team. If they are not consistent, they're not going to get to where they want to be. Another thing that people think is a very, very crucial make it or break it factor for recovery is motivation. It is not. It is not. Motivation is like the weather. Sometimes it's nice and sunny. Other times it's pouring down rain. You can't rely on motivation just like you can't rely on the weather to live. So Taro example, I'm house training him now because he's never lived in a home before. And part of that means that I need to take him out quite a lot. And I live in the UK. The weather is not always nice here. Imagine if I were to only take him out when the weather was nice and then when it was raining i would just be like you know what yeah, i can just let him pee inside now you know the house training wouldn't have worked because there wouldn't have been consistency he would have learned that oh when the weather is bad or sometimes i can just pee inside right and the same thing goes with the eating disorder 
Many people are able to do the recovery things when they're having a good day, when things are easy, when they're in a good mood, right? But the most important bits of recovery is doing it when you don't want to do it. Because you can't just do recovery on the easy days and expect to fully recover. Just like I can't house train my dog only when it's nice and sunny outside and expect to have a fully house trained dog. And yes, this episode is going to be full of dog training metaphors because I like metaphors and Taro is teaching me so much. It's teaching me so much because I think an eating disorder and recovering from it is actually a lot like having like a little unruly dog that you need to train. So I'm reading a book right now, which is surprise, surprise, about retired racing greyhounds, right? Uh, it's called Retired Racing Greyhounds for Dummies. I've had dogs before, but I've never had a greyhound and they are very different from the dogs. Anyways, there is something that was written in this book that immediately made me think of recovery. So I want to kind of just read it for you and explain why I think this is so, so important. So basically, this is about dog training and establishing a good relationship with your dog. And it says... Every positive thing you do in your relationship with your dog is an investment in your future together. So how this applies to recovery is every recovery action you do, you are investing in your recovery. You are putting coins into the recovery piggy bank. And then after that, it says, and this is also so, so, so important. It says, in the beginning you may have to put far more into the relationship than you get back. But always keep in mind that today's actions earn interest in the future. So essentially, what they're saying here is that in the beginning, when you just gotten a dog, whether that is a retired racing greyhound or it's a puppy, you give a lot, right? You give and give and give far more than you're getting back in the beginning. Like for this week, I have been wiping so much pee from the floor and I have been taking him out at the most inhumane hours and just been exhausted and I haven't gotten immediate rewards back. I would wipe pee from the floor and then wipe pee from the floor again the next day, right? And essentially I was kind of thinking like, oh my god, is this even working, right? Because you don't always notice the day-to-day differences right now i've been doing it for a week and i'm noticing that i'm starting to harvest the benefits so essentially recovery is a bit the same in early recovery and in recovery in general you may feel like you are giving and investing and you're not necessarily getting back on your investment right away essentially you are getting a delayed gratification rather than an instant gratification and this can be frustrating because you'll be in recovery and you just be like i'm doing so much i'm giving i'm fighting why am i not getting anything back you know but i want to remind you that the day that you plant the seed is not the day that you harvest the fruit i am now with taro putting in so much work early on to train him to be the best dog he can be and really 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 focusing on getting everything as good as i can so that a few months from now he will be a very nice well-behaved dog if i were to be like oh it's too exhausting to put in that work now i would have had a lot more problems moving forward and three months from now i would have been kind of wishing that i started three months ago and that's the thing with recovery as well You need to put in the work now and then you will harvest the benefits later on. When people say that the eating disorder kind of gives them joy, right? For instance, people will say, oh, losing weight gives me joy, it makes me feel good, it suits my anxiety, blah, blah, blah. One thing to be very, very aware of is that it gives you an instant gratification. 
And there is a huge, huge difference between instant gratification and happiness. Instant gratification is, you know, when you have a mosquito bite and you scratch it. And in the moment that you're scratching it, it gives you like, oh, this was nice. This was a relief. But then because you scratched it, it starts being even more scratchy longer term. Delayed gratification is resisting the urge to scratch the mosquito bite. And then it actually becomes less inflamed with time. And then also less itchy, of course. The joy you think you're getting from eating disorder when you step on the scale and you notice the weight has gone down, that is not happiness. That is instant gratification. That is scratching the mosquito bite. It is anxiety relief, right? You're feeling anxious about, for instance, eating something, so you skip it. It makes you feel better in the moment, but longer term, it gives you more anxiety. So please don't make the mistake of confusing instant gratification instant relief or the kicks of serotonin that eating disorder may give you, the little highs you get. Don't confuse this for happiness and don't confuse this with the sign that this means that you should just keep doing those behaviors because they make you feel good. A drug addict or an alcoholic, they're also probably going to explain that they do feel good when they have that drink or do that drug, right? But if you ask them, well, the addiction, did it on a bigger scale, did it actually make your life better? They're going to be like, no. So the same thing with the eating disorder. In the moment, you have those five minutes where you didn't eat the thing that you know you should have eaten because it gave you anxiety to do so. So you skipped it. You got a slight anxiety relief, felt better for five minutes. But you're actually just strengthening the cycle and worsening the anxiety long term. So recovery is about making that investment early on and trusting that there's going to be a reward in the future and accepting that you're not going to get that reward instantly. And I know that's difficult, right? Because we like instant gratification. We like getting the reward right away. But this is not possible with recovery because recovery is hard in the beginning and then it gets easier. And sometimes in recovery, it can feel like things get worse before they get better. So please, please just remember this. Recovery doesn't give you as much back early on. It gives you so much back. So, so, so much back. It triples, quadruples what you put in in the future. In recovery, it took me months before I started really harvesting the benefits. And now, years, years later, I am like... The life I'm living now versus the life I would have been living now if I had stayed in my eating disorder. I got a very good return of investment. I'll put it that way. Very good return of investment. And try and think of recovery as consistently making a small investment, right? Imagine if you put a coin in a piggy bank, one coin per day. From one day to another, it might not be a massive change, massive difference. But then you check after three months and you suddenly have quite a few coins in there. I genuinely think the concept of motivation is one of the most potentially dangerous things in recovery. Don't get me wrong, motivation can be great as long as you are aware that motivation is sprinkles, right? It's not the whole dish. Motivation is something that comes and goes. It's kind of like, again, like the sunshine. Sometimes it's sunny outside, enjoy it while it lasts, but it's not going to last forever, right? Motivation is the same. When it comes... Yes, ride the wave, enjoy it, utilize it. It's lovely, right? But don't rely solely on motivation because if you do so, you're not going to get anywhere. So many people, like so, so many people, it breaks my heart to see it. So many people 
are not getting to where they want to be because they think that motivation is the secret ingredient that they are missing or the secret ingredient that they don't have enough of, right? Because that's the thing with motivation. It's not consistent. Consistency is consistent. And that's why I always say determination over motivation. You do not need to even be motivated to recover. You don't. You just need to be consistent. That's the thing. Very rare that people are always motivated. When I talk with clients, they will have boosts of of motivation, you know, especially like after the session, they have that post-session motivation. That's very common. But in general, they're not going to report feeling motivated all the time throughout the week. It's completely unrealistic to think that that is how recovery works that recovery is just a bunch of people who are just somehow always motivated always ready never scared that is a myth trust me but one thing i see in clients who successfully tackle the eating disorder is consistency these are the people who will show up over and over not just to sessions but they will show up between the sessions show up for themselves stay consistent do the work agreed upon even if they don't want to and the reason why i say motivation can be dangerous is not because it is dangerous to be motivated right when you're motivated that's amazing the danger is if you rely on it because then you are relying on something that is unpredictable the people who rely on motivation are the re- in recovery are the people who one day will have a good day and they get all all so much work done and so much you know they challenge their fear foods and they're really optimistic and then the next day motivation is not there and then they think they have done something wrong and that recovery is not for them i sometimes think certain recovery spaces might reinforce this by making because the thing is that the most motivated people when someone have a day of motivation they're that they they're kind of the people who tend to will share it and how motivated they are and how good they did and how hyped they are those are the days that get shared right but i actually think that there should be more sharing of the boring mundane days where you're not really that motivated not really that excited maybe food has even become a bit boring and you still stay consistent so the good news is that consistency Unlike motivation, consistency can actually be choice. And that's why it's so much more powerful. You can't choose motivation. You can't choose your mood. But consistency doesn't focus on emotions. Consistency is focused on actions. Therefore, consistency is something you have way more control over. That's why it's such a good and powerful tool in recovery. Again, motivation, it's not something you can control. So relying on it will it won't really get you that far, right? It might get you far for a day or a week, but it's probably not going to get you far for a long persistent enough time to fully recover but consistency on the other hand staying consistent because it is about choosing behaviors rather than your internal state consistency is a lot more predictable and reliable because the definition of consistency is that it's about actions it's not about your internal feelings right and you can be consistent regardless of how you're feeling even though of course i understand that when you're having a good day it's easier maybe to stay consistent But it's so important that you teach yourself and your brain that consistency is something you do no matter how you feel. You need to teach yourself that consistency is not optional. And this is important because the thing with an eating disorder is that if you give it an inch, it will take a mile. Basically, that means that if you give your eating disorder a little bit, it will like come and take so much. You can't just give your eating disorder, throw throw it like a bone here and there and expect it to go away. It will not go away. Another Taro metaphor. So I've been training Taro not to steal food from the kitchen, right? And steal food from me when I'm eating. And he is so adorable. Like I will eat dinner and he will stare at me. And I can promise you, 
it is very, very tempting to just give him some food, get me, let him taste a bit of my dinner. That's what I want to, that's what my like instincts tell me to do. But I know that if I just one time give him food from the dinner table, he will be begging and begging and begging for a long time coming. So I know that I have to stay consistent even when it is very, very, very tempting not to do so. Because, oh my god, a begging dog. Like, I am weak for a begging dog. And my brain will try and go, oh, just one time, it's fine, one time, and you won't do it again. But here's the thing. If I do it once, he will remember it, and he will be back begging again for the next dinner. And your eating disorder is literally like a begging dog, right? So if you are, you can literally think of it, you being at the dinner table, and you give the eating disorder a little bit at the dinner table, right? Maybe your eating disorder tells you, oh, don't finish your plate, right? If you do that once, then the next time you're at the dinner table, the eating disorder will memorize that, oh, the begging and the, the bullying worked, you know, you change your behavior. And then the eating disorder will be there again at the next dinner. If you instead are able to ignore your eating disorder when it begs you to do something disordered, then with time, the eating disorder, again, kind of like a dog, will realize, okay, nothing for me here, not getting anything out of it. As a result, now with Taro, I'm actually able to eat my food without him begging because he knows there is no reason to beg because there's not coming anything out of it. But if I just gave him some food now and then, how can I expect to have a dog that's not begging when sometimes the begging is working? It's so much better to just sit in this discomfort of me feeling a little bit bad that I'm not giving him food when he's begging because he's so cute, you know? It's better for me to sit in that discomfort rather than having a dog that's always begging because that's not really a nice thing that's kind of awkward you know and it can be that i'm eating something that might be unsafe for him and he accidentally goes and grabs it you know we want to keep our dog safe and we want to keep the relationship good and strong so that's why i'm being consistent and a bit strict and in the same way you need to resist the urges that your eating disorder gives you, right? Yes, it gives you that instant relief, just like when I, if I gave Taro a little bit of food, it would give me a little bit of joy to watching him enjoy it and be happy. But I know that longer term, it creates more damage and can be unsafe. What if he learns that food on the dinner table is for him and then I'm eating something that dogs can't eat, like chocolate or onions or something, and then he goes and nips out some food because he learned that the food there is for him as well. Please don't think that your eating disorder's behaviors are innocent, right? This is a bit of a trick that the eating disorder pulls on you. It will try and camouflage its behaviors as super innocent, right? Sometimes it can seem innocent because the behaviors are so subtle, right? It'll be like, oh, just leave like one little piece of food on the plate or oh just go for like a five minute walk five minute walk that's fine and a treatment practitioner may not even be aware of these behaviors because i mean physically it's not seriously going to absolutely crush your body to go for a five minute walk you're not going to be severely malnourished by leaving like one little piece of pasta left on your plate but mentally you're reinforcing the eating disorder loop so these so-called subtle behaviors sneaky behaviors they are actually very, very dangerous. And if you're just repeatedly giving in to the small sneaky behaviors, then those behaviors grow. Suddenly that five minute walk become 10 minute, become 30 minute and boom, right? That's the thing with an eating disorder, give it a bit and it takes a lot. And that's why you need to not give it anything. I know it's difficult, I know, I know it's difficult, but it's so important to stay as consistent as you possibly can and put coins into the recovery piggy bank because what you focus on is what grows. If you have two plants, the plant that you are watering and taking care of is the plant that's gonna grow. 
And if you have, imagine you have a recovery plant and you have a eating disorder plant. If you keep watering the eating disorder plant, that plant is going to grow. And then if you neglect the recovery plant, that one is not going to grow, right? And also, in this case, you can't grow both plants at the same time. And this is the thing that can be difficult to accept because I think so many times people think, well, okay, I'll recover, it's fine. But I'll have like, hold on a slight bit to the behaviors. You know, like, I will recover, but I won't gain weight. I will challenge my fear foods, but not that fear food. Or I'll challenge my fear, but I won't go over X amount of calories, right? And then these are the same people who are confused why recovery is not working for them. The same way that the people who sometimes give their dog a little food at the table wonder why their dog is still begging. The good news about consistency is that consistency can also tie into habits, right? And habits, when something becomes a habit, it becomes a lot easier to do. You're probably quite consistent with brushing your teeth. You don't actively have to decide to be consistent with that. It kind of just goes automatically without you thinking much. You probably don't have a major moment before bed. Should I? Should I not brush your teeth? I mean, unless you're like exhausted, knocked out in bed and moving is just exhausting. But, you know, most of the time you probably don't have that internal debate. And that is because it's become a habit, right? You want to make recovery a habit. And here's the thing. It doesn't just magically one day become a habit. It becomes a habit by you repeatedly doing it. And here's the other thing, and this is a little bit ironic, right? I spoke about motivation earlier and how motivation can be dangerous. But here's another thing with motivation. Motivation comes by being consistent. We often think that motivation needs to be present for us to do something, but actually it is us doing something that creates motivation. I know this seems really bizarre, but it is genuinely true, right? So for instance, if you're challenging your fear food before doing that, you're probably not going to feel like, oh yes, challenging my fear food. I mean, you might, and if you do, that's awesome. But chances are you're going to be a bit like, oh, I don't really want to do this and try to find reasons not to do it. But then afterwards, you if you do it and it goes successfully, nothing bad happens, that gives you that little kick. And then you feel kind of motivated because you feel a sense of accomplishment. So instead of thinking as of motivation as something that needs to be present. Think of it as something, again, like I said, like the weather comes and goes, but also think of it as a side effect of consistency. And consistency, good thing with consistency is the more consistent you are, the more consistent you become because then the consistency starts running on habits. If you have gotten into a habit of not restricting, it becomes a lot easier because then you're not actively thinking of taking the choice, right? So for instance, now I never like sit down and think, should I restrict today or not? No, because it just doesn't cross my brain, right? But in recovery, even though I was actually very committed to recovery, there was quite some time where I needed to feel like I need, I need to take that conscious choice until that choice became a habit. It became automatic and restrictions stopped being a viable option. And that is exactly what you want to create for yourself. You want to make recovery a habit. You want to use consistency to make recovery something that happens almost automatically. Please don't confuse this with being rigid or overly structured, you know? You want to be flexible as well. Even though sometimes in early recovery you may need to use some rigidity and structure to beat the rigidity, right? I know it is hard work. Trust me, I know. I've been through it myself. I know how hard work it is, especially when you're not getting the instant rewards. Because sometimes you, when you recover, you're just kind of like, well, I don't notice if this is working. Actually, I feel kind of worse. So why am I doing this, right? You have to keep going, even though you don't necessarily want to. You may not even trust the process. You 
have to keep going regardless. And I can promise you that your future self, if you stay consistent now, your future self will thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And now I'm going to jump over to a listener question. So I'm paraphrasing a bit, but essentially the person is asking on advice on how to stop excessively chewing gum. Oh, this is a very good question. And I can empathize because I had this with gum and sugar-free pastilles. I would chew gum and eat these like lacquerol sugar-free things all the time. And there's nothing wrong with having a gum now and then. You know, if I'm like out eating, I love to have a gum afterwards, after a meal and these things, but it's not something I have an urge to consistently just chew on. So here's the thing with gum chewing. Gum chewing has actually been shown to be a side effect, potential side effect of restriction and undernourishment. You saw this in the Minnesota starvation study where they actually had to restrict the men from chewing gum. Because suddenly, and these were men who had not had before, they'd not been excessively gum chewing before, but suddenly they had extreme urges to constantly chew gum. The thing with gum chewing, and in the case of Minnesota starvation study, they noticed that with refeeding, when the men were actually allowed to eat more and eat more consistently, have access to food, weight restore, etc., etc., the urges to excessively chew gum went away. So my number one advice for excessive gum chewing is refeeding and weight restoration and rest. And please note, when I say weight restoration, I do not mean a certain BMI. I mean going to your body's natural set point weight range if you're someone who is not there yet. If you're someone who's under your set point, you need to go to your body's natural set point weight. And remember, this is not necessarily something you can control and pick and choose yourself. You need to show your body that there is a consistent supply of food, regular supply of food. So this means eating more, not just, you know, eating more at night and then restricting the whole day, there needs to be consistent supply of food. Another thing can be, that can be helpful is replacement behavior, right? So, okay, you're chewing gum and it may have, you know, I spoke about habits a bit early in this episode, the gum chewing may have gone into the habit, <laughs> the habit box, right? And a very effective way to break habits is by replacement behaviors. So in the case of gum, what I would recommend instead is to have a bowl of, it could be sweets, maybe something sweet because it tastes a little bit similar to gum, some sweets, but it could also be something like nuts, any kind of snack. And when you have an urge to reach for the gum, you instead grab a sweet, right? The thing with the sweet is that the sweet actually gives you some satisfaction, right? Because with gum, you're essentially chewing and chewing and chewing, but there is no no energy coming in for the body. If you actually eat a sweet, then the body's like, oh, I'm chewing and something is coming in and then you get some satisfaction. Maybe not right away. So in recovery, we all know that if you've been depriving yourself from sweets and then you have access to them again, you can feel like, oh my God, I can never stop eating sweets. I'm addicted. <laughs> it's completely normal. It will eventually pass. Try and have something that actually has energy in it and have that next to you remove the gum that's the, the good part about gum addiction is that you can actually remove the gum from the house and replace it with something else so in my recovery i started replacing gum with actual sweets like i mentioned and i really enjoyed you know pick and mix sweets and also these like caramels that you suck on but not the sugar-free zero calorie ones right the actual satisfi satisfying caramels sweets that you can like suck on or chew you know Try this and I can almost guarantee you with time and consistency, as mentioned, you will notice that the excessive gum eating habit declines. 
actually, if you're listening to this, uh, you could try it out and then you can drop me a DM in, in the future and you can let me know how it went. And one last thing on the note of gum. So in recovery, your stomach may already be a bit funny. It's very common to experience bloating, digestive troubles, pain, gas, etc, etc. Essentially, your body is just relearning how to digest again. And I know I spoke about this in an early episode. So sugar-free gum has sweeteners that can really upset your stomach. So it can really worsen a lot of these issues. If you quit the excessive sugar-free gum chewing, you may notice that your stomach will feel better as well if you're someone who struggles with your stomach in recovery. So just a tip. The same also goes for sugar-free like mint or pastilles, etc, etc. I remember I would eat so much sugar-free pastilles and it would make my stomach hurt and I stopped it and I was just like, oh, okay, this is nice. Nice not being in so much pain. So that's an added bonus. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm glad to have you guys here and I really do appreciate you. And I look forward to talking with you again next week. Bye-bye.